Hello, hello, and welcome. Testing, 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 testing. Oh, I was close To the there. outpost hole test cast. Don't bring the hole back to this episode, please. We already had a whole episode. <laughs> We've buried the hole. And welcome to The Outpost, a podcast about inspired thinking. I am Lacey, and I have kidnapped three fabulous people today. I've kidnapped Mark. I've kidnapped Tom. You're fabulous. I've kidnapped Derek. Why are you fabulous for this? <laughs> and now you must sit with me for approximately 45 minutes and answer all my questions. Well, she talks like this. <laughs> I She's hope we're in a castle right now. <laughs> I feel Crackling like we are. Fires. You're in the dungeon. Be <laughs> quiet. Now. She's Derek, on the rack. Yes. You've got community questions. I Please do. start us off with that. All righty then. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Accents. Always Let's accents. Do this. Let's not. <laughs> we talked about this, everyone. <laughs> there was a memo. <laughs> Did you not get it? Okay. First question. Is the launch of GameFound as a board game-centric crowdfunding alternative to a Kickstarter good or bad for the industry? Can somebody recap me on what GameFound is? Yeah, so GameFound is a company that's a sister company to Awaken Realms, who are a board game publisher. Mm -hmm. And they started out making their own pledge manager platform to manage their own Kickstarter campaigns oh, cool. and not have to use a third party they have now also made their own crowdfunding platform mm. as an alternative to kickstarter so they run all their own campaigns on the game found platform and they are making it available to other creators to come do their campaigns on game found and it's just 100 percent board game right. focused hmm. And there's a different fee structure, and it's it's an alternative to Kickstarter, but it's the same idea. And specific to board games. Yeah. Interesting. The question is, is that good or bad for board games? For the industry. For the yep. industry. I don't think, generally speaking, in the world of business, that competition ever is a bad, bad thing. Mm -hmm. I think we have had some success on Kickstarter, and we've built a community that we really love on Kickstarter. And Kickstarter has enabled many wonderful things to be brought into the world. I think a competitor puts Kickstarter in a position where they have to be a little more responsive. Mm -hmm. When you're the only show in town, you kind of get to sit on your laurels maybe longer than you otherwise would. So I think from that perspective, it will probably lead to some change. It may also lead to nothing, depending on how it does. I think it's a question of will it be good or not? You know, how good will it be? I, I don't have any answer. I'm like, oh, it's bad. It's a terrible thing. Awaken Realms has been pretty open with why they're doing it. And they're being pretty responsible and respectful with how they're doing it and how they're inviting people in to be a part of it. And, you know, it's a business move, but they're doing it in a really straightforward way and, a, and I think a respectable way. I think consumers win when pressure is applied on platforms like that to perform. So it's definitely a good thing because, like Tom said, you're going to get more out of Kickstarter for sure if they feel any type of pressure. And any monopoly 
is in a position where they don't really have pressure to perform and they're just kind of milking it. And I see a lot of times that those types of situations result in resting on your laurels and not doing everything that you could and not being as responsive as you should be and dropping your responsibilities. And and I think to a certain extent that happens on a lot of those. I, I wouldn't single anyone out, but there is also in this particular situation, you know, when you have a board game publisher that's tied to a platform, there is the potential for abuse there that I would say. And I, I don't think that would happen with those folks. I think I think they've never shown anything but community love. But, you know. Conflict of interest a little bit. There could be. Like if this was a competitive space, which it isn't. So, so this is a bad example. But in this situation, I don't think it's an issue. But in some situations, you know, like you'd have the ability to leverage yourself over your competition because you run the platform and you produce the product. Yeah. The way Google does with putting their ads at the top and or Amazon yeah. promoting their Amazon basics products yeah. over other sellers products mm-hmm. that are the same or the Kindle and the Amazon ebook marketplace mm-hmm. being what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's okay to, to innovate and to offer those things and you know, I can envision myself in that same situation where we're, you know, wanting to do something for the community and it's good for us too. From a purely consumer standpoint, the question is, is it good for the industry? I think it is good for the industry because I think people should have options and then all of those platforms can learn from each other and do better. And when you're striving to stay at the top, that's good for everyone. If Kickstarter was really pushing the envelope and doing everything that they could to be the absolute best that they could possibly be game found would be dead on arrival and no one would care mm-hmm. and that has not been the case which are i there, think says something. are there some frustrating things about kickstarter that that's pandora's box that's there. a big question yeah i mean okay. you could critique anything in the world right and I, I think there's a lot of things that kickstarter can improve and i've been involved personally with giving them pointed feedback from you know campaign creation standpoint which is what we are and we've had a plus million dollar project with them and you know i don't want to get into my critiques of them too deeply just because i think that we rely on them and we we know that there's human beings over there working and trying to you know to to bring some light into the world I, I i do think a lot of their their luster has been lost over the years they were trying early on to help lesser known small passion projects come into the world and now it's become a marketplace where those voices are drowned out to want them to be better i think that's that's healthy Mm -hmm. well i think if nothing else if you have a platform that exists in a digital space performing some sort of function if it does not change one iota in five years It's usually a the, either sign. it's absolutely perfect Unlikely. or you are choosing to not evolve. Right. And anyone who's used Kickstarter even once could point out a couple things, you know, hey, it would be neat if you could do this. And obviously that's a massive undertaking to develop anything relating to Kickstarter. But there is room for improvement mm-hmm. on anything. And and not a lot of pressure to perform. That's the problem, right? So yeah, it's a I, highly I, lucrative model. Very, you know, just for using the platform, tremendous income generated without a lot of human touch that mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are asking for. And you don't really see that from Kickstarter right now. Just robot touches. 
Beep, boop, touched. Not even, yeah, I mean, it's very, very limited. It is a closed system. You comply, and this is how it works. And now listen, on the other side, it is a very valuable offering that they have. It gives you massive publicity uh, and visibility to a product that might not have otherwise been there. But that's it. Without so. Kickstarter, we'd be in a very different position right now. Oh, yeah. So there's no, there's no denying what mm-hmm. they have done mm-hmm. and what they've made possible. All right. So the next question is, if you had to describe the members of the Oneb team as mostly alike or pretty different from each other, which would you use? And then it says specifically, give me more than cop-out middle ground answers. Yeah, <laughs> they know us. <laughs> are we mostly alike or are we pretty different from each other? I would say we are all very different from each other. Yeah, Agreed. I would agree. The way we think, the way we dress, the way we act, the things we make, the way we make the things we make. We are united in our values and our thinking and everything else is dramatically different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very good recipe. We see things from very different perspectives. We do not agree on everything. And... At the end of the day, though, the things that really make our brand resonate and the things that we stand for, we all agree. And that's what makes our team united, in my opinion. We're definitely bound by a common goal and a common vision. Mm -hmm. How we get there, I think we each have our own independent way of doing that. Just to devil's advocate a tiny bit, I would point out that we are all from a similar socioeconomic Mm. status. It's a good point. Mm -hmm. We're all white. We all live in the Pacific Northwest. We're all within the same 15-year age bracket. Yeah, there's definitely um, some homogeny there. There are many ways that personality-wise, we are all very different. Mm-hmm. I th- believe that there are a lot of world experience perspectives that aren't in this room. Um, very good sense, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up. But... We are definitely also personality-wise very different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we grind on each other in ways that, you know, mm-hmm. polish each other. And annoy each other. Yes. <laughs> you say polish. I say annoy. I say the truth. Potato, <laughs> potato, tomato, tomato. That's funny, though, because I don't generally feel annoyed with people at the office. Mm-mm. I really don't. Do you? You do. <laughs> she's like pursing her lips over there. I'm like, like, she's do you, to like I shouldn't ask in. this. No, never mind. Well, let's pivot. Let's pivot. tell him later. It's a me problem. I'm only annoyed when I'm not in charge of the conversation. She's like, like just, if- just you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say that like I get annoyed sometimes, but it's so short lived. Like by the time I leave the office or come back to the office the next day, it was, it's not a big deal. Yeah, I, my love is so big that like nothing anybody does that annoys me really is that big a deal. It's just annoying for, mm-hmm. you know, can we just decide on something and move on? Do we have to keep talking about it? Like are that? Dro- are you dropping a hint? Are you, are you ready to? No. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. I do agree that we are all different enough that we can never just make a straightforward choice about anything. No. Very like true. there are always very differing opinions on how to do anything mm-hmm. and it's like okay i guess we have to talk about this now and the funny thing is is a lot of times we're talking about the same exact thing we just have vastly different ways of explaining the that's, that's very true, true. and it's that's super true it's like oh okay all right <laughs> on to the next interesting which maybe goes to us having different personalities but very similar backgrounds mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's a great analysis there 
Did we find a middle ground answer? Yeah, I was going to say, is that middle ground? Did we cop out? Official cop out. Executed. Well, if those weren't satisfied answers, then they can yell at us online. And we will listen and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And stay up late, thinking into the night, staring at the ceiling. I don't know. When is the end of the night? Ooh. That's too deep for today. It's too deep. Can't do it. We don't want middle ground answers, Derek. <laughs> no, no. When does the darkness end, Derek? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about our main topic for the day. Okay, we've scurried around enough now. <laughs> Let us focus. Friends. Topic talk. Scurry, 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 scurry. Okay, so today's main topic is analog versus digital creativity. So I was really excited to bring this topic because... I think it's so interesting how we use both ways of creating differently, how they work together. I was super curious to hear about how people in the Outpost community thought about this topic as well. So we got a lot of good feedback. So I'm going to start with the first question up here. Do you prefer paper, pen, or laptop, tablet? Why, when, explain yourself. Here come some cop-out middle ground answers. (laughs) I use both, (laughs) which will be the theme of this conversation, I think. Um, Cops come I tend to start with paper and pen. Rather, I tend to start with nothing. I start when I'm just wandering around or I'm taking a shower or I'm, you know, not putting anything to anything. It's just in my mind. But usually when it comes time to start exploring an idea or writing down an idea, I start with something analog. And then when I get into the more execution of it, by that point, I'm on sort of a digital platform. I think that stems from and yell at me or make big arm motions or something (laughs) if I'm running ahead. But when I was at university, we did the study. So I majored in media communications and we did this study that wired up a bunch of kids and what we were looking at was what's going on in a kid's brain when they are watching TV. And specifically they were watching something educational because this was when like we had just kind of reached the point in society where we would AV cart in some video and every, you, Mm -hmm. you know, you would watch the little animated video teaching you ABCs or whatever. And there was this big debate about whether that was as effective as a more analog approach. Mm -hmm. And what we found was when kids and adults, but when anyone is interacting with a screen, whether it's educational programming or not, their brain behaves very, very, very differently than when you're off a screen. Mm. So the synapses that are firing and the connections that are being made are much, much fewer. They're different and radically fewer than when you're not dealing with the screen. How interesting. And, you know, so I think that's why things like Sesame Street need to be really repetitive because it doesn't Mm -hmm. stick the first time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's value in educational programming, certainly, but it is different. And I think I experienced that a lot in my own creativity because most of my new ideas where I'm making new connections between things or what if this thing connected with that thing way the heck over there and that thing way the heck over there and oh my gosh I have this new idea I really want to explore almost never happens when I'm on a screen Mm -hmm. it happens when I'm in the shower or on a walk 
and then I start journaling it and sketching it or whatever. And then eventually I move on to a screen where I'm having little micro ideas and the act of manipulating things on a screen lets me make different kinds of smaller connections or refining ideas, but I never have the big explosive ideas on screen. And I think it probably has something to do with what's happening in my brain is my really long answer. Hmm. Reflective silence. I think digital media is much more limiting than an analog media would be. Your brain is, is the most expansive tool that you have. And when you can whiteboard or when you can draw, you're not limited by what the cursor can do or what the software can do or what the application can do or the power that it has going to it or those types of things. You are much freer to envision different and more possibilities. So generally my process starts with a sketchbook and the infusion of some type of orchestral nonverbal music in my head so that I can ride the waves of my imagination as I like to describe it. Mm-hmm. Tubular. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dean. <laughs> I generally fight moving to a digital format until I have to do that to organize everything that I have in my sketchbook, which is now unwieldy, right? Like I have a, it's a giant mess of brainstorm ideas and possibilities. And then when you bring them into either like a Google sheet or sometimes I'll bring them into Illustrator, you kind of have to do a refinement process and digital tools help with that. They help you organize content, but that's not really what you want early on, or at least not the way that I view it. And I think it's different for other people. I think other people can have their own methodology and I think that's just great. There's no right or wrong way to do it. You use the tools that you have, right? There are a lot of people that do amazing things and they don't even have access to digital stuff, right? Everything's analog. Some people don't even have paper and pens, you know? You can have other methodologies, but I think if you don't remove yourself from a digital box, you are limiting the possibility of what you could be exploring. That's a trap that a lot of people get into is they, out of haste or a false sense of urgency, they want to get down the road and they want to get the thing done instead of letting it evolve and grow naturally. You can't make plants grow in two hours. You have to give them time to cultivate and your ideas are the same. I think you just nailed when I move to digital. It's either it's time to get organized, like I have too much going on, it's unwieldy, or I am at a point, and I don't know if this isn't what you were just saying, but I am at a point where I need to move more quickly. Mm. Like, especially with writing, like if I'm writing by hand and like I know where I'm going, writing by hand, I'm so much faster on the computer. If I jump onto the computer, now there's no medium that's impeding the creative process. Like I am just free to let my ideas flow out of me. My brain doesn't have to slow down and wait for my hand to catch up. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because there's another thing there that I think we want to protect. And that is what happens in your brain while you're waiting for your hand. I have found in my experience that when I move to digital too quickly, it's because of that urgency to not lose my momentum. However, I don't give myself the opportunity to let what happens in my brain while I'm waiting for that to really mature. 
I guess what I'm saying is you have to go slow and be open in the first stages. Otherwise you're not being thorough enough to really, at least from my perspective, to really let the creativity and the imagination attain the height that you want them to go to because there's such an urgency to get back down to the ground. And there is a point at which you have to do that. Right. I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Like Tom's right. Like we have to eat, you know, (laughs) we have to make games. Like I could spend 10 years making a game or writing a book or whatever. And that would be not practical. Well, here's some insight. Aaron Clark, who is doing some game design as well in the Outpost community, he said that he thinks that he himself sometimes can be too reliant on technology to solve problems, that in some ways we jump into moving our designs to digital with something like TTS, Tabletop Simulator, too soon, because then it ends up that we took shortcuts in our creative process. Because with paper and pen, we can have that creativity flow quickly and easily, but updating your digital files can be much more time consuming and complex and keep you from actually doing things right. He's totally right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think part of that stems from, and maybe you just said this, the excitement to see your thing. Like, I'm really excited about this game that I'm making or this book that I'm writing. And I really am looking forward to like being able to see it. Like Mm -hmm. there it is, I can engage with it. And so you rush to making the game components, but you haven't done the thing Mark's describing, Mm -hmm. the the simmer phase. Now let me dive into the big comfortable pillow pit middle ground that that we've talked about. I go back and forth between the two in my process. So Mm -hmm. I start with a sketchbook, I organize the ideas, and then I go back to the sketchbook and I do that a few times. And I think that's healthy and I think that's necessary. And some people don't really like that. They want a much more linear process. And I think that's great for them. I find that if you don't do that, you miss out on what your core intentions and motivations are trying to do. And you focus too much on the task at hand and you end up looking at the trees instead of the forest. So in some ways, I see the analog as the forest and I see the digital as the trees. I think part of that is also personal because for you as a graphic designer, doing graphic design is still part of the discovery process, is still part of the preliminary creative birth. You know, for a lot of people, if we're just keeping this on something like board games, Moving to graphic design, at that point, there's no more discovery going on for them. They're just making their thing pretty. Mm. And they've moved too fast. For you, graphic design comes earlier because it's part of your creative process. I don't know if I want to refer to it as an advantage that I have, but in some cases it definitely is. Part of the process is what I want people to feel when I'm designing something or, or what we want them to feel as we develop our products And a lot of that is visual. And so having graphic design and branding background definitely lends itself to that. And so that is part of the reason I go digital is so that I can start fleshing out the shape or the texture or the color of something. And it is basically just an expression of my imagination on the screen, which is why I then go back to the sketchbook and be like, okay, that's too confined. That's not what I really want. What am I really trying to design here? And then I'll go back to digital again after that and think, okay, yeah, this is much more in line. There's checks and balances between the two that I think are really important. 
they're different, but they're symbiotic. When we let that inform the other processes a lot, like the number of times that you've designed something and then we've printed it out and put it on the table and then we've been, no, Mm -hmm. no, it just doesn't feel right. Like something's wrong. And then we go back to the sketchbook and we have some new idea based on how it felt in the graphic design world have been many. So my entire work stuff takes place digitally. Boom. <laughs> Fail. So it's it's really interesting. And one thing I kind of picked up on is I don't do a lot of physical sketchbook type sketching. And I, I would have your act together. I would have to say that because what I'm creating purely lives in a digital space, it's really difficult to kind of create something analog before knowing that it's going to be digital. For you two, you're creating something analog digital back to analog you mean the final version will exist in it will be a physical piece of board game it's it's cardboard whereas mine you know my or everybody in this profession i guess you could say it lives digitally but one thing i thought was very similar between the two processes was starting with low fidelity ideas first and then expanding that and making sure you're very conscientious of those steps before you start to get to the visual aspects of it. Because I forget the person's name, but what they were saying was that moving it into tabletop simulator too quick. And Tom, you had mentioned wanting to see the fruits of your labor, right? This vision you have in your head. And it's very easy to kind of go for that because it's the most quickly satisfying piece. But you do miss a lot of the reason behind the design if you don't go through those in my case, wireframing, site mapping, because those are incredibly informative on the final design. However, those items for me aren't sketches. They take place on a computer. What if I want to push back a little bit? Because just today you and I were talking about how you had 2 a.m. ideas and you brought your notebook out and started writing down some of those ideas. <gasps> Found out. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, but I would Pillow say pit. the difference there is I was writing. I wasn't sketching out a design. I call that like most of my ideas that I'm doing analog first is writing too. I don't draw much. It's mostly I might put a circle around something I'm writing, mm-hmm. but my creativity analog does come out as words mm-hmm. most of the time. You well, look and- back at old sketches from when we were first doing Unsettled and I was trying to figure out trust mapping, right? I mean, I'm just writing words in different places. But what you were doing, because you are creating like a business model, which means you're putting these ideas down mm-hmm. on paper. Why didn't you bring out your laptop and type it out at that time? That's a very good point. Accessibility was a big part of that decision because I had that pretty handy. But yeah, I guess that, that you bring up a very good point that, you know, what is sketching, right? Yeah. Is, is sketching the act of drawing shapes and things on paper or can it be as simple as words or ideas put together? Maybe I do sketch and I just don't know it. I would suggest that you do. And whatever you do is right for you. And that's totally fine. I will say there's another tremendous benefit to going analog early and that is that you can go at 10 times the speed that you can digitally i guarantee you you know like if i was going to wireframe or sketch out 10 different layouts for a website in my sketchbook versus you trying to do that in whatever program you're in you know like you're going to be able to explore ideas at a very high level very quickly in your sketchbook and maybe not to use your example, maybe it's a game or maybe it's something else that I'm working on. Yeah, I think for things that will eventually become analog, absolutely, it's much quicker to do that. I think tools like rapid prototyping is a huge part of the industry that I'm in. 
And so there are tools that make that efficient and quick to be able to iterate. But you do bring up a really good point because you are 100% right that it's much quicker to sketch things out quickly on sheets of paper than it is to draw a box in Illustrator. Oh, this is an image, add text and that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. So I definitely think there's two sides to that. Yeah, and I mean, if I were designing video games, it would still require the analog one for me. I don't know. I think everybody's got kind of their own process. And like I said, those are great. I think the more tools you play with, the more you have in your toolbox and the more capable you are. And you might find that, you know, this time instead of the pliers, you need the needle nose pliers. It's good to have some working capability with a lot of different methods. Well, and like I said, your brain functions differently mm -hmm. in the two different spaces. Mm -hmm. And so there's, why wouldn't you want to take advantage of as much of your brain as possible? Yeah. Do you find, even though digital begets digital, that a lot of the ideas you have are when you're not looking at a screen and then you quickly move to the screen to start exploring them and sketching them or whatever, but do you have the idea when you're like making tea or yeah. doing whatever it is that Derek does? Absolutely. You know, a lot of those ideas come away from the screen, but as it concerns producing those, it definitely, for me, it, it's easier to put those on in a digital because I'm designing for digital space, so it makes the most sense to me to start those concepts digitally because you know there's certain restrictions that you have to kind of think about when you do digital designs. However, I will add the caveat that when I do like page layout designs or I design an ad or something like that, I do sketch. Mm. I do so try to sketch those it. out. <laughs> I do sketch those out, but only if the situation, like, I don't know, only if it makes sense to me, but everybody's different. I you wanna say real quick, just to hit off what you're talking about, Tom, that Daniel from the Outpost community too said, ideas stop coming to me the moment I'm in front of a screen. Everything becomes about arranging, categorizing, organizing when I get in front of a screen. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at too. I feel similarly when I'm creating, if I'm doing any sort of writing and whatnot, even if I'm in front of the screen, in order to get an actual idea to come to me, I have to close my eyes. I have to look away. I have to breathe deeply. And then I can move my attention back to actually mm -hmm. creating. The last thought I would have on this is that the digital space will confine you to what's possible, whereas the sketchbook will allow you to go into places that are not possible. What's funny is, there is this, there's this debate Deep. back and forth, though, because some people say that exact same thing, but other people say that moving digital makes it more limitless, like the amount of things that you can create. Because what? You can only draw so well and you can only create so much, but with a computer, you're opened up to so many tools. I would say visually that is true, that the digital space allows you to explore more things visually. But when it comes to conceptually, and, and Mark, Tom, I think you'll agree with me on this, that that is where those items are limitless is within the sketchbook. Am, am I following that pushback thoughts, ideas? I'm really going to go out on a limb here and give you what I really think now. Finally. You're going to hate me. Let's crawl okay. out of a pillow fort. Hey, we can have differing opinions. I'm we cool with we that. can. And that's good. I'm glad we respect each other that way. I believe that the digital platform is the slave to the concept in the analog form. So I believe that all of our technology serves the initial imagination, concept, sacred concept, what we're trying to do, our motivations, which start amorphous. They start without form. And we slowly graduate and evolve whatever tools we need to make those. I can't make vindication without Photoshop and Illustrator and, you know, 
fonts and typography and colors and textures. And I, and, and those exist in my head. They don't exist in my sketchbook, right? I can't have layered documents in my sketchbook. At some point I need to go there, but Photoshop is a slave to me bringing my idea to work, right? Whereas the sketchbook, I guess you could say the same thing about the sketchbook, but in a much less limiting fashion. Mm-hmm. And so it is to me, it, it is a little like bit more linear. Pen, if you're using that, the yeah. pen yeah, and without a pen, I'm mm-hmm. just drawing in the sand, right? With my finger, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the same thing. It's kind of a cute well, idea, though. <laughs> I'm on the beach. Another aspect that we're not talking about yet is that there are lots of different types of digital tools and ways that you use them. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're using your digital tool in an experimental way, you will be able to discover things that you wouldn't discover in your head, like yeah. electronic music. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to layer this, this, and this oh, that is doing a thing that's making me think of another thing. I'm going to bring this in and then I'm going to do this. And what if I just move this over here and bang this thing? And like, Mm -hmm. it becomes an exploratory space where you create and find things that would literally never be possible or occur to anyone without that digital tool. Mm -hmm. I think there's probably also an extent that sometimes that's also the case with visual digital things. I don't know, but like playing with type and inverting things and pushing things and then like, you know, doing cutouts on top of things and seeing how things layer and like that type of experimentation occur in what you do. Well, yeah, I mean, my brain doesn't turn off, right? Here's where I think I would take a step towards Derek, right? Here's here's a scenario. I, I have to I have to create Let a different you in. different type of a of a thing. But like if I'm a watercolor painter or an oil painter or something like that, it doesn't necessarily mean that I would start with a sketchbook and then take it to my medium. I may decide that I know that I am contained within this medium and I want all of the exploratory things that I'm doing to flesh themselves out in the way that the pigments in the water respond to the porousness of the paper and basically work within that context because I know I'm never going to be outside of that context. I view that as kind of maybe the way that you approach Mm -hmm. digital because you're never going to be outside of digital. So why would you ever go outside of it? However, you're sketching in your head, right? Maybe you're just not, you're skipping the paper. Yeah. And you're going from your head to the digital palette. Still think if it were me, if I took that extra step, I might find that I learned a few things along the way that would inform what I did in the digital format by taking that extra step, by taking the long path, you know. There's something that I wanted to get out here from Ryan in the Outpost community that's sometimes it's the imperfections of analog creative tools that make the work shine. So if you go right to the precision of using tools, sometimes you miss the character that comes out from the imperfections. Very good point. Another point that I wanted to bring up here too is Adam Young talked about the fact that it's sometimes tempting to get lost in these digital tools and the cool things that may be taking time away from the basic things that actually need to be getting done and putting pen to paper at that time might be more helpful than getting Digital lost. tools can be really distracting. Mm-hmm. There are a number of writing tools that exist for the sole reason mm-hmm. where they say like the entire premise of certain platforms, there's one called Ulysses, there's a platform called Scrivener, which kind of goes against this, but Ulysses in particular says like Microsoft Word is death for a writer mm-hmm. because you're going to spend a whole bunch of time 
screwing around with type choices and headings and like formatting your thing and making it look right instead of just doing the work of writing. Yeah. And you get distracted by all these other little finicky tools and stuff and things that are possible in the digital space instead of just Doing writing mm -hmm. and Ulysses is literally just you have no options this is a full screen thing with no icons you type and words go on it done you have no distractions whatsoever we have reinvented notepad basically <laughs> um, and I think he's completely right maybe I'm pivoting here but the thing that makes me craziest about how necessary both are is my desire to be organized in one. So like mm. I have a system for organizing my journals and my notebooks and my notepads and all my little, you know, notes for projects. And I have a shelf where they're rubber banded and color coded and everything's, you know, but then I also have my system on the computer where everything exists in sort of a note taking Evernote kind of doc and everything's organized. And, but like everything exists in both places. And I desperately want all my projects to either be on this shelf in the real world or in this filing system on my computer and it is literally impossible for them not to be in both and it makes me crazy yeah but isn't <laughs> it so interesting though like i crave being able to organize i'm like really excited about that tablet that's coming out that's more like writing focused for like handwriting focused but I would never go back and just all of a sudden flip through my old files the same way that I can open up a sketchbook and look at something I did and feel what I felt when I was writing or drawing it. I can't, mm. I don't know how to replace that with mm -hmm. something digital. And that's why I love my notebooks. I can look back and say like, these three notebooks were all unsettled. Mm -hmm. And there's probably 10 times the amount of content that I did on a computer somewhere. Mm -hmm. But five years from now, none of that will mean anything to me. Those three notebooks will. Yep. Mm -hmm. It is interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you we said it, man. <laughs> you concur. Doctor, doctor, doctor. Okay. Well, there's a few more things on here, but I really feel like we covered a majority of it. I mean, it seems like the biggest debates are whether the limitations are coming from analog or digital. And I think maybe there's an argument for both sides. I really, I really think there is. What happens in your brain is the most important thing. And I would suggest that whatever your creative process is, make sure that it leaves room for what if. And if the digital format or the analog format don't allow you a wide enough berth to explore, then find a way to do that. I think a sketchbook is also limiting, right? I do it in black and white. Well, there's no color there, right? Well, there's no texture. Why don't I paint? Why don't I use crayons? Why don't I dip Q-tips in watercolors and put them on there? Like there's a billion things that I could do that would lend different insights to what people feel when they see what we're making. And I say that flippantly, but also not. Like those things stretch us and they make us better and going out of our comfort zone and our, our routine make us more creative. You can't not be more creative by doing something new and something different. So that would be my advice to myself. Mm -hmm. And then you guys and you guys meaning everyone. Yeah, I guess if the question people are wrestling with is, which should I be using? Mm -hmm. You know, should I be exploring my ideas, analog or digital? I would say that you should be using whichever one is making your brain feel most alive right now. Mm -hmm. And if you are sitting there and you're feeling like you're just kind of stumped, switch. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a really good And light up something up. different in your brain. 
sometimes your brain needs to be kind of flip-flopped. Jump-started. So yeah. if Jump start. you've had enough of this and it's time to flip-flop, you're in the same boat as us because it's time for us to flip-flop to a new activity. I'll see you on the flippity-flop. Flip-flop <laughs> on out of here. Did this take us right to lunch? <laughs> I hope so. I like this new <laughs> schedule. This is excellent. It's, it's a stomach timer. Recording starts at breakfast and ends at lunch. <laughs> yes, this is perfect. As it should be. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you three for all of your time and your energy and output here. Thank you for those of us from The Outpost community. I love having so much feedback on these that we can use from the community and the yeah, podcast. I, I feel yes, like it's bringing a lot of depth. Has elevated the show considerably. Mm-hmm. Thank God I don't have to listen to just you three anymore. <laughs> <laughs> can we get some smart ideas in this room, please? Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation and want to share it with a friend, if you have a friend, you can share it with them. Um, you can like, you can subscribe, you can Comment. rate our podcast. You can give us a standing ovation. Uh, Did but- you say rate or be rate? Hey, you can berate hey, us. Hey. Please don't berate us. <laughs> Unless it's what's inside your heart. So yeah. we'll take it. Sketch it out first and then come talk Just to us. Just do you. <laughs> Smash right. that Thank like button. Thank you all so much. <laughs> we will talk to you soon. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Goodbye. Goodbye. Get that sketchbook out. Somebody texted me. I'm like, oh, I forgot to reschedule. I won't be there. Goodbye. I'll see you later. (laughs) Wow, we were recording. Sorry you drove all the way there. This is the end of the conversation. (laughs) Goodbye.